T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Joining me now from the Pewter Report is John Ledger. John, uh, good afternoon uh, Good afternoon to you, man. Appreciate you making time for us. I know this is kind of the busy time. I know uh, any opportunity to get the hell away from draft talk you're probably taking, but I appreciate you making some time for us to uh, to talk about it, man. Oh, absolutely. Don't, uh, don't worry about it at all. I was uh, happy to make sure that it was able to happen because wouldn't be draft season if we didn't get on and talk draft at least once, so I'm looking forward to it. That's right, man. Uh, it's sort of a, a yearly rite of passage, and, uh, you know, listen, I, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people over the last two weeks, and um, I, I first wanted to sort of just get your quick thoughts on the trade that happened yesterday. I just had Matt Verderam, a fan-sided. We, we talked at length um, sort of about how we both felt that the Ravens really ended up the big loser in that and and that trade yesterday, strictly from just an, an asset management perspective, they end up trading the 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 player in the move, which is I, I think a really really good franchise left tackle, um, and they also traded a second round pick, and in return they only get the thirty first overall pick. I know they they get a third and you know some some other stuff in there as well, but like mm-hmm. the two best picks, or, or I should say, I think the two of the three best pieces in that trade go to Kansas City your overall thoughts on kind of how that worked for the for the Ravens and and what you think they do now with two first round picks all the way at the end of the first well I think it was I don't want to say it was bad for Kansas City I do think it was good for Baltimore though because it wasn't like Orlando Brown staying was much of an option um trying to like pick my words here but if you are a good player that doesn't stick around in Baltimore you know, you fill in the blank, but I think you probably know where this is that is like there's you know, there I don't know, you just you might be a little bit tough to work with. So, um, you know, not saying he isn't a good player. I think he's a good player, you know, I think that that's clear, you know, but Baltimore doesn't move on from people unless there's a problem. Um, let's just put it that way. So, hmm. you know, I don't think and plus he had expressed he wanted to play on the left side yeah. and he wanted to play, you know, so I think that it was clear, you know, that that, that was a desire of his, and that's you know the, the, what he where his focus was. And they obviously paid Ronnie Stanley, and they want him to play on the left side. And Orlando Brown is clearly very interested in making the, the most amount of he wants to be the highest paid tackle in the league. I believe. Uh, I don't think he's that type of talent for what it's worth. I think he's a good player. Um, some people are going to say he was overthought by some people going into the draft. I mean, I think he was still a good player. They shouldn't have overthought the athletic testing to that mm-hmm. degree, but he's also one of the biggest outliers ever. And in a pass-happy offense now in Kansas City, a group that's going to ask him to do much different stuff than Baltimore asked him to do, um, we're going to see. I mean, I think he's a good player for sure. Is he the type of player you want to make the, the highest-paid tackle in the league? Because that's what a guy like that is going to want. I mean, that's what he's yeah. going to want. He's, he's getting out of Baltimore to get that type of money. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think where I ultimately fell on not liking it for Baltimore, I think it was two-pronged, is – 
I'm not really in the, I'm just not in the state of mind where I'm willing to give any asset to the Kansas City Chiefs. I think for them, the one team, they're the mountaintop. And, you know, say what you want about the Bills and the Titans and whoever else you want to sort of anoint in that fringe tier one group. The, the Chiefs are the one you have to beat to get over to get to the Super Bowl. So I just think anything that might potentially help them doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So that's that's like kind of the first thing. And then the second part of this is, you know, we know that Baltimore, I totally agree with you too, by the way, that like if Baltimore's trading him, that front office is trading anybody, it, that should at least raise eyebrows, if nothing else, because they've mm-hmm. earned the benefit of the doubt. But I still look at it as... They had they had the leverage still. Like they still had a franchise tag under their belt, at least one or two. So just I think they have just as much leverage as Kansas City still has um, to keep him around, even if he wants that big money. So like I, I just didn't. I, I felt it felt a little quick on the trigger for them to move him. And maybe your point is it was so quick on the trigger because they were really maybe looking to get him out of there. Yeah, I think that was part of it. Also, he really wanted to play on the left side, and that was really it. Like, he wanted to play on the left side, period. You know, right. No bones right. about it, because he believed that if he played on the left side and had another good year, which he thinks he's going to have wherever he plays, then he's going to be the highest paid tackle in the league. And he'll certainly have, you know, the ability to – he'd be a guy that wouldn't shock me at all. I know we're way out of – but if you try to tag him, he'd be a guy that doesn't surprise me if he holds out. And I just don't think Baltimore wanted to deal with the headache down the line. Like – of trying to like negotiate a contract with him when they already paid a tackle. So they moved now while the stock was at its highest, while they still had some leverage rather than get to a situation where he was like, I'm not playing for y'all unless you make me the highest paid tackle in the league. And then they were like, all right, now we have no leverage and right. we're getting close to the season. And that's where I think their mindset was at with the whole thing. Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair way to look at it too. I want to um I want to shift gears with you, John, here. And I want to start talking about a couple of prospects that I'd really kind of just love your overall take on. Um and I want to start it with a guy that has sort of made it's sort of been the talk of Bill's Twitter for, I think, the better part of 72 hours, maybe even a little bit more than that. It's Tulsa linebacker Zavin Collins, and I think for all of the wrong reasons people are talking about him. Um, I don't believe the Bills you know, make a move or draft Zavin Collins at 30 if he's the best player available, so be it. But I don't think they draft him with the thought that, like, they're going to move him into an off-ball linebacker position. And, and I think the only conversation you have is if the Bills just don't, they, they've totally soured on Tremaine Edmonds, and they're ready to move up. They're not going to sign his fifth-year option. This is his last year in Buffalo, and then he moves on, and Zavin Collins moves into the to the middle linebacker position. But, but John, a 270? Um, I think if he walks into Buffalo, the first thing Brandon Bean is doing, if, if he's playing off-ball linebacker, is asking him to lose the 20 pounds he just gained. Like That would be the first thing they would ask him to do. I view Collins as, I think right now, I think what he's trying to say to teams is, I want to rush the passer. I want to play in the line of scrimmage. I want to be a four three or three four outside linebacker. Maybe a hand in the dirt four three defensive end. I think if the Bills are going Collins, they're projecting him as a Jerry Hughes conversion, a guy that is miscasted as an off ball linebacker that truly is a hand in the dirt four three guy. Would love your take on what you see him being in the NFL and maybe the best place for him. I think I'd ask him to lose 20 pounds no matter what position he's playing, <laughs> yeah, to be honest. I, because, right. A, it's just too big. I mean, yeah. even 270 for uh, an edge defender in today's NFL is not – that's not where you want to be. So I'd ask him to lose 15 to 20 no matter what. Uh, and it doesn't mean that he isn't in good shape. I'm not trying to Agreed. That, Agreed. At some point, what did he do? He ran, four, I think, four sevens or something like that at his pro day. And that's a pro day number. So, I mean, at some point, I just want you to be fast. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're fast for your weight. Like, if you're playing off-ball linebacker, I just need you to be four or five speed. 
I don't need you to be 270. Oh, but he, you know, for his weight, that's a great time. Well, maybe so, but I don't. The, the 270 doesn't do anything for me at off-ball linebacker. Yeah. It really doesn't do anything for me at edge defender because he, two things that I need to see from him to see that he could play edge defender in the NFL. He'd need to be very physical, just physical all the time. And you're always in a physical battle at edge defender. I mean, almost every snap, unless you're the unblocked guy and, you know, running zone, running away from you, you're, you're engaged in a physical battle every snap with a blocker, with somebody that you're trying to combat. You've got to have a different mindset when you're that way. It's not like that as a linebacker. You're playing in space a lot, or you're at the second level and you're clean, you're getting to a, you know, sometimes certainly that happens at all positions, but He's not physical. He's just not that type of player. It doesn't mean that he isn't good. It doesn't mean that he's soft. It just means some guys want to bang every snap. Yeah. That's what they want to do. That's how they want to play. He is not that way. He is. I know that frustrates people because he's huge, um, and he looks like he should be able to just destroy guards. He just doesn't play that way. He's probably one of the worst linebackers in this class at getting off of blocks. Now, is he smooth? I think he's smooth. I see instincts at times. Yes, he is ranged. There's no question about that. He definitely has a great feel and coverage for routes developing around him. Um, he doesn't. He is not a big hitter at all, uh, which again disappointing because he's huge. You'd love to see him blow somebody out. Just was. I think one time he like runs sideways and the quarterback scrambles and he's like on a collision course in one of the games and he he like throws a shoulder at him kind of to tackle him. But he's just so big and and he's quick enough that like the science of it kind of knocks the quarterback back a little bit. But that's like the only big. I mean, he just in a general basis. He approaches tackles even if he's going to carry, take down a ball carrier square, and he'll just wrap you up and drag you down. Like mm-hmm. That's what he does. Now, he does that pretty well. He doesn't miss a ton of tackles. But you know, I think he's a good player, no question. But I need to see him be physical, and I need to see him be explosive in his first two steps. If you're not a quick, twitchy, off the ball in your first couple steps, it's just hard. You know, It's hard to be an edge defender in today's NFL if you don't have that skill set, especially because you need to build everything else. So I need to know that he has at least those two base traits and then we build everything else off of it. To me, he doesn't have those two base traits. I don't consider him an edge rusher at all. He, I know he went to 270. Agreed. Maybe teams told him to. Maybe he just decided. I don't know. He hasn't said that, I don't think. But maybe he decided. I don't know what his rationale is or what he's thinking. But I do think he's a good prospect. I don't think he's an edge defender. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I, 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 I think I viewed him as the only reason of the Bills, they, they, their justification for it isn't, hey, this kid is going to step in. We're going to run more 4-3. We're going to change fundamentally change the Sean McDermott defense that's been to a Super Bowl, that's been to an AFC Championship game. We're going to change that entirely for the guy we pick at 30. I just That is not something I'm buying into at all, but that's kind of the talk that people want. And listen, I get it. It's I think we're all a little bored. I think we've, we've talked talk a lot about a, pro- a lot about prospects and you're getting to a position where you know, maybe you like a Zavin Collins maybe you just like his profile in the NFL and you think hey he's just the best player available find a position on the defense for him and let him free but I I think it's a little bit more complicated than that and it's sort of what brings me to my next uh, maybe the next two prospects I want to ask you about John and that's Eric Stokes and Asante Samuel Jr. and maybe trying to assess which of those guys fit better in the Bills defense with what you know what they do schematically and here's sort of the caveat to this though is although I I think if you're looking at both guys, one is very clearly a, a, a ready to go and play in the zone, and I think that's Eric Stokes from Georgia. And I think there's another guy that probably is going to be a little better set in a in a man scheme, which is um, Asante Samuel Jr. But if you're the Bills and you want to be able to play a little bit more man coverage next year, which <laughs> I would, by the way, um, I would like to see them be able to do that or just have the personnel to be more versatile. Well, then that's where the Asante Samuel maybe pick makes sense. But tell me a little bit and walk me through sort of the, the fit of Stokes and Samuel if that is either one of those guys or, or their pick at 30. 
Well, I think with Samuel, you're getting a very uh, one of the safer players probably. You just don't know what the ceiling is. With Stokes, everybody's kind of hoped that there's this great ceiling. Obviously, he's super long arms. He's tall. He's big, you know, big corner, and he's got uh, great speed, 4-3-4 four, four, four guy, and he's just super explosive. Uh, can jump. Uh, not many corners of that length that can jump like that. Um, and I think everybody's going to be kind of attracted to that as an outside corner. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing, he just, you know, his tape, it's fine. It just hasn't ever looked dominant. You know what I mean? Like, you see guys like J.C. Horn and and, and, uh, and Patrick Zertain, and even just some of the same times, even though you know, yes, there's going to come a point where, like, you have to figure out how his size translates to the NFL. You know, Stokes has just never really looked like a, a dominant dominant player um and sometimes you wonder man are, are he even positioned to really get tested you know in in certain games and um i think that he's definitely a, a good player but i think even his interception numbers are a little bit deceptive i mean those weren't really quality picks if you watch the tape it wasn't like he was making these unbelievable plays on the ball you know they were they were kind of blown situations by the offense so i think stokes just comes with more question marks obviously he's all the tools that you want um, I just kind of wonder if that's ever going to be, if he's ever going to be the sum of his parts because he's played for a while now and mm-hmm. we haven't really seen a dominant player. I think everybody's in love with the profile physically and athletically, but I just wonder if it's ever going to translate to the field. Where Samuel, I think he kind of maybe is what he is and maybe Stokes is too, like I'm saying, but uh, Samuel is just kind of, there's going to be some physical limitations, but he will tackle. He's physical. He's tough. He moves really well. Like you said, he could play, he could play man, absolutely, and I mean, he can play his own, too. So, I mean, you kind of get the best of both worlds with Samuel. You're just not getting it quite in as big or athletic of a package. John Ledyard here on the Western Hotline. We're talking a couple of draft prospects for the Bills at 30. One of the interesting ones that I I think it, it may actually end up being a decision that Brandon Bean has to make, John, and that's, you know, do we take the fifth edge rusher off the board or do we look at a guy like Christian Barmore from Alabama? And, uh, you know, I for me, I don't love it. Um, Three-tech is not... A position I think would be a luxury pick for the Bills. I think they need to find ways to get more out of you and I have talked a lot about Ed Oliver on Twitter uh, back and mm-hmm. forth. I think they need more from Ed Oliver, and I think with Starlatule coming back, getting him on the field more with Starlatule should get him in better situations for pass rushing um, success. But I don't. I, I wouldn't love the Barmore pick, um, and you know I think because that takes snaps away from from um, from Ed Oliver. I don't really think he has the versatility to to maybe bump down and play a lot of one technique. I think Barmore is a is a three tech in the NFL. So tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about what you think um, if the Bills are sort of faced with do we go with a um, um, you know do we go with the fourth or fifth guy at edge? Is it Joe Tyron, who's again as maybe more, I view as more of a three four outside linebacker? Um, and, and and I don't know. Is it is it uh, Osai from Texas? Like I, I don't know if, if they're ultimately forced with picking the fourth or fifth edge rusher, or in this case maybe the top interior guy. What do you maybe trade off there? Yeah, I agree with you about Barmore. I think he's definitely just he's very different than the other Bama guys we've seen come out in recent years. You know, I think that you when you talk about Barmore, you're talking about a guy who right now rushes the passer better than his other things. That's very atypical of most of the Bama guys we've seen come out at defensive tackle over the years. You know, he's. Definitely a liability right now against the run to a degree, and I think he'll need some coaching. And just really, I mean, it's very mental and technical position defensive tackle, and I think the Bills have to understand that at some point here because they've, they've brought in a lot of guys who are, are very talented and, and raw, and we're still kind of waiting for them to develop somebody, right? Like, I mean, even Harrison Phillips tested well mm-hmm. at, you know, at, at the combine, and people thought, okay, like Harrison Phillips is a higher athletic ceiling than we thought. And it just, you know, where's the guy that's Justin Zimmer and, you know, Vernon Butler and, at Oliver, of course, and, and so it's like, all right, now, 
we haven't really made as much progress as maybe we hoped with these guys. You know, and they're all talented. I'm not saying any of them are bad, but we'd like to have made more progress. So at some point, let's get let's wait and let's get like a more pro ready guy, and that might be in round three. You know, it may not be the ceiling of an Ed Oliver or a Vern Butler or somebody like that, but it's a player we know can come in and help us. You know, or you start going the free agent route, whatever. You know, but I mean, I think that that's uh, that's something that they have to consider in, in terms of their own self scouting. I do think that the, the most important things that the Bills can add in the first round are, are another corner mm-hmm. or a pass rusher. I mean, those that's been kind of the every year we've kind of had that conversation. Like the, the other corner spot is good, but is it good enough? You know, like Levi Wallace can survive there, but can, you know, can we can we upgrade? Can we yeah. can we make this team a team that put you know is over the top? That's kind of was Tampa Bay's mindset all last year. That's what they tried to do in everything that they did, and that's where they need to be at. I mean, Kansas City's the competition, right? Buffalo knows that. Not saying they're another good teams, but that's the team you got to get by, and you got to be really really talented at pass rusher. Uh, the Bucks proved that. I think other teams yep. have proven that. You got to be really talented at pass rusher and really talented at corner and make a lot of plays if you want to be successful. So yes, an edge defender makes a lot of sense. The question is who's left? Is Queedy Peg gone? Is yeah. Aziz Ojolari gone? And is Jalen Phillips gone? If Jalen Phillips isn't gone, is it the off the field stuff? Do you feel comfortable with the fact that you know Jason Away is is this you know zero sack guy in seven games last year? That's where it gets tricky. It's easy to say it's a need, but then it's hard to say like, oh, I feel really confident in this guy at thirty because hard to feel confident in a lot of the edge rushers in this class. Yeah, I mean, and and for me, John, I mean, I, I think I might be the conductor of the Tyler Shelvin hive in round three if if the Bills can can manage to get like that. That's the kind of one tech. Like for me, if you're going interior. I don't. I just. I just don't need a three tech right now, and that would be a very. That's a luxurious pick going three technique mm-hmm. at thirty. I, I just think that's when when you hear Brandon Bean talk about the future. I think the future of the three techs fine. I, I just they got Butler, they've got Oliver, and they've got cost control on Oliver. Like I just, it doesn't make sense to me. One tech, hundred percent. The last guy I wanted to ask you about. Well, I think the last group of guys I wanted to ask you about is this. This group of wide receivers that maybe fall outside of the top three, the Batemans, the Elijah Moores, the Randall Moores, uh, where do you – I, I loved your rankings, by the way. Your, your top four having Elijah Moore. Uh, me and Joe Marino, we are big Elijah Moore fans at 30. I think that's the one home run hit the Bills could go and get. Um, obviously, Emmanuel Sanders, he comes over in free agency. He's a one-year guy, though. He's not going to likely be here longer than one-year guy. And, and frankly, John, if I'm talking about a guy that – or two guys that maybe would be the best at getting the most out of Elijah Moore um, is Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. Allowing those two to be around more for a year, um, that maybe helps him in the one area maybe we're all concerned about him is the nuanced route running at the next level. I, I think those couldn't be, you couldn't handpick two guys to be better, um, you know, kind of chauffeurs for him in his early part of his career. What is your thoughts about the fit for the Bills and Elijah Moore, and do you maybe see somebody else that, uh, that could be in play at 30 for the Bills? Uh, that's, I mean, Osmore's awesome. That'd definitely be a good pick. I, I had not even thought about the Bills and wide receiver. I thought I agree with you about Emmanuel Sanders, and I know, you know long-term, it's like, all right, we still got to consider our options. But that would be a wide receiver room for the agents. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Sanders, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, what we saw of him last year, look like he'll be a future starter, top three guy. I know they play a lot of four wide receiver yep. sets in Buffalo, so having depth there is important. Isaiah Hodgins, I liked coming out, uh, you know, fourth round, like, uh, I've always liked McKenzie as a bottom of the roster type of guy. He gives you a lot, I think, for that that sixth receiver role or seventh receiver role. Um, so I love the group, and I'd love I mean, him being a part of it. Yeah, it's a great fit. I mean, talk about a guy that can get vertical from the slot and get vertical. He, he can win outside. Like I, 100 plus snaps there last year. I know that's not a ton, but I, I mean, Ole Miss offense. We know that they've they've done a lot through the slot over the years, even as they've changed coordinators and coaches, but. Yeah, that is definitely not an. I mean, I watched a couple. I watched probably almost every game from last year from Elijah Moore, and 
I've watched him a ton over the years. He's been a favorite of mine for since the first time he really stepped on the field at Ole Miss. Um, I didn't know that his stock would eventually rise this high, but watching him this year and what he did against top corners, I mean, he and J.C. Horn was a great battle. I mean, he yeah. he really he won some reps. Uh, he really did, and that's a that's the most physical corner I've scouted since Ramsey. So, I mean, I, I really think that if he can beat that guy like that, he can win outside of the NFL. I don't have I don't have a lot of concerns with with his game, to be honest with you, Elijah Moore. I mean, he is. He's that talented. I know that he's not big, but watch how many combat catches he makes, how many times he gets rocked and holds on to the football. I mean, the dude, like, never drops the ball. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, I'm a huge fan of him. Will be a great fit in Buffalo, great fit long-term with Josh Allen, no doubt about that. There's other good guys, but to me, that's really – there's a break after those first three and Elijah Moore. Um, I really think there's a break there. I like Rashad Bateman. Mm-hmm. I like some things Rondell Moore brings to the table for sure. Um, I'm – there's clearly upside in Terrace Marshall that I recognize. He needs some polish. But, yeah, I think that uh, it falls off a little bit after Elijah Moore. John, appreciate you, brother, as always. Love the insight. Thanks for uh, for helping us navigate uh, You know what has, I think, ultimately capping off as, I think, a, one of the most interesting draft cycles, even more than last mm-hmm. year. I mean, we're talking, I, and I've been saying this sort of in jest, but I, I, I genuinely believe this. This draft is going to prove the worth of a lot of scouting departments. I think this draft is going to be the most challenging for teams without a lot of good medical records, with, I think, the smallest um, draft pool in recent memory. This is either it's going to make or break a lot of franchises so um you know kind of following your work and following the the guys that i respect on twitter and um and in the industry this is this has been a really challenging year i'm really looking forward to kind of the fruits of the labor that has gone in for the last several months so really enjoy your work brother as always you know that and uh, we look forward to having you on after the draft and we'll uh, we'll hash things out then